Hello. 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 And welcome to Mobilize. Mobilize is a podcast that puts a spotlight on and is a resource for people, people, friends, communities, communities activists, activists who have decided to stand up, resist, 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 fight back, mobilize. Each day, together, together, we shine a light on the we truth. Shine a light on the we truth. focus on the things that unite us. We pull each other up. We celebrate, we celebrate our, our shared humanity. humanity. Episode 11, Resist Bot. My name is Nick, and I've been working closely behind the scenes of Mobilize. In an effort to showcase more tools to help mobilize voters, Corey spoke with ResistBot co-founder Jason Petorti about his free text-to-fax service that allows users to easily contact their government officials with a simple text message. This is a new, easy, and convenient way for Americans to contact their representatives in government to let them know what they think and keep them in check. Hello? Hello, is this Jason? Yes. Hi, this is Corey from Mobilize, the uh, podcast. Is this a good time to speak? Yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, by the way, and thanks for making ResistBot. Sure. I really appreciate you taking the time. We're based out of New York City. Where are you based out of? I'm in San Francisco. Cool. I heard about ResistBot, I think through Teen Vogue, which is funny because I don't think of myself as a Teen Vogue reader, but they've been pretty on fire politically. Yeah, I don't think any of us are Teen Vogue readers until this year. (laughs) So yeah, can we go back a little bit? If you don't mind, can you introduce yourself and um, what is ResistBot and how you came up with the idea originally? Sure. My name is Jason Petorti. I have been in Civic Tech probably since about 2010. Just for the layman, can you explain what Civic Tech is? Basically, it's technology that helps people get involved in their civic lives, so in government or cities or things like that. There's apps like Countable out there, which basically gives people a list of bills to vote on and communicates that to their officials. There's also like a big open source community. There's stuff like democracy.io. It's a bunch of folks who built a system that just helps you email your officials. So it's a big universe of both open source and for-profit, non-profit tech that just tries to make people's lives a little bit easier in terms of interfacing with government or contacting officials. Why is that somewhere where you personally think you should be? I don't know why exactly I got interested in politics in the first place. The first election I could vote in was Bush v. Gore. And I don't know, that was pretty exciting for me. I became really passionate about voter turnout and civic engagement, which I would say is a subsection of civic tech. And that is just how do you get people to pay attention? And I think if you do, that has a lot of benefit for the country. I just decided, okay, this is really fascinating. Is there a way to kind of combine tech with my interest in politics? And hence my journey began here. The first thing I built was this blog aggregator that took the different political blogs and put them on an ideological spectrum and color coded them so you could sort of see what the left and right, what their kind of language and narrative was right at the same time. And it certainly was really interesting. My first company in the space was called Votism, and it was basically a way for people to connect their social graphs to the voter file, claim their own record, find other friends that were voters, turn them out to vote. It was the first part that I know of to help people use the power of their friends to lobby Congress and get folks elected. If it's okay, I would love to just get a quick 
what ResistBot is. Sure. So ResistBot is a chatbot that helps you communicate with your officials and government. Just text RESIST to 50409. The bot will ask you for your name and your zip code, and you'll be able to write your senators in the first two minutes. And the more you use it, the more features you'll be able to unlock, such as writing your rep in the house, finding your closest town halls, doing letters to the editor, and all kinds of other stuff that will help you get more civically engaged. Interesting. Um, Can you tell me how you came up with the idea originally? I was at the Javits Center on election night and was pretty devastating. And after taking some time to recover from that, just started thinking, oh my God, what are we going to do now? Since I've been building technology in this space for a long time, I certainly had a lot of things come into mind and things that we could build. One of those things I had in mind was a chatbot to do call patches to Congress because Congress clearly was marching in a very Trumpian direction. So the first idea actually was to do call patching. But after talking to Eric, the co-founder of this is Eric Reese. So Eric and I got together and Eric actually just couldn't reach anyone in the Senate. Kamala Harris and Diane Feinstein, their phones are always busy. And that makes sense because there's 38 million people in California with only two senators and you know everyone gets the same amount of staff and phone lines. So Eric started faxing his senators. And so we decided, okay, well, why not make a chatbot out of that? Once we kind of had the idea in place, it started to take off. Eric has contacts in Twilio, so we got support from Twilio.org. Can you explain a little bit about what Twilio is? Twilio is like Amazon in that they provide an API for programmers to build applications that work over the telephone. Twilio is an amazing piece of technology. Basically, even interfacing over SMS is way more complicated than anyone really understands. So Twilio has solved most of that so that all you have to do, like if you want to build an application that works over text, is you just use the Twilio APIs and things just work. You make it sound so easy. You're like, hey, I had an idea. This guy had an idea. So we just made it. I mean, the first thing that I'm curious about is, can you just make something like this? Does it cost money? It's actually easier than you might think to build something like this. The real problem is cost. The SMS does have a cost component. I think our initial credit was like $500. That's kind of a standard Twilio.org, like, hey, we'll give every project this to get going. And yeah, we blew through that in probably a few minutes. And after that, I mean, this was just going straight on Eric's credit card. But as the volume started to take off, I mean, Eric was like, oh my God, we've got to figure out something. So I think about 10 days in or two weeks in, we started taking donations and that helped a lot. But we chose SMS just because it was universal. And as it turned out, it was a really important way to deliver because of word of mouth. Your friend telling another friend, text resist to 50409 or sharing that on Facebook or Twitter is just incredibly easy to do. What was the usership change like and how did you deal with that? Yeah, it was pretty overwhelming when the House held that first vote on the AHCA. When that happened, basically everyone that was already on the bot was sending messages and then they're telling their friends and they're telling their friends. So that was our first big spike where volume was actually taking the service down and that was kind of nuts. We had something like 42,000 people sign up just on that day. When Comey got fired, we added 86,000 users on that day and I mean, we sent hundreds of thousands of pages of faxes. Oh, wow. What kind of statistics do you have about how many people are using it now, how it's being used? On usage, I think we've hit about 730,000 people that have used it at one point or another. We average about, I think, about 30,000 pages of communications a day. Probably as I'm talking to you, we've probably hit our full millionth total page. We were at 3.9 something yesterday, so I think we've probably hit 4 million by now. 
I assume when I communicate with my senator, it becomes public record. Is there any sort of concern there? Most of the questions we've gotten is, hey, like, why are you putting my phone number and my address like on my stuff going to Congress? And I'm like, yeah, like they need to know it's an actual real person, a constituent, otherwise they will throw it out. We don't share any of your letters or anything like that. Obviously, a lot of people post them themselves because they're proud of what they wrote. All these communications, I do believe they're technically public record because it's going to Congress. Otherwise, we take every precaution to make sure that our systems can't be compromised or anything like that, and that stuff can't be dug up. For me personally, once I started using ResistBot, I thought about the way that my discourse with my representatives changed, the language I used changed, the way I thought about it changed. Do you find or do you think that ResistBot has changed the way people engage with their reps in general? It's tough to say. I do hope that we are basically in kind of delivering the service in this way over text in a really accessible way that we're getting more people involved and daily engagement is really important, especially when we look at just the level of voting we have in the U.S. In an election as hyped as Clinton-Trump, you still only had like 50% turnout, which is crazy the world's greatest democracy. I mean, we have 50% of people actually voting. And our hope is that by getting people in this habit of engaging, whether it's writing their officials or whether it's kind of finding out when there's a town hall or finding out like, oh, there's a district office for my senator or my representative really close by. Maybe I'll go stop in and like tell them what I think. We just want people to be engaged and make it a part of their daily lives in a way that I don't think it is for most people today. I do believe that having it be this easy will increase the frequency. And that is the whole point. We want people to daily engage and we don't want to just spam Congress. We want people to write thoughtful stuff, share personal stories. And a lot of these people have never done that before. Generally, if senators or Congress people or governors saw a spike in engagement, they would say, OK, this is something we need to pay attention to. Are you at all worried that if they just see a constant flow of dialogue that they're going to start disregarding what people say just because they're not going to be able to handle the volume? There's been a lot of political scientists that have raised that. The position they're taking is, hey, we can't make it too easy for folks to like have a relationship with their officials. And that just kind of blows my mind. I don't think that's the side of history you really want to be on. I think the side of history you want to be on is actually getting back to a place in our democracy where people are engaging with their officials, have a relationship. Our democracy hasn't quite scaled with the number of users in it. We have a nation of you know 330 million people and our Congress is capped or our House is capped at 435 members and the Senate at 100. I think what I recommend for people is the written communications, they get tallied and they're easier to process. Congress has technology called a constituent management system, and they have systems to manage really high volumes. In fact, they can detect if there's a bunch of people talking about this issue, they can tell whether it's positive or negative. They can actually group that all up and come up with a tally. What they can't do that with is a phone call. So phone calls are really effective at kind of generating noise and shutting down offices and they're useful for when stuff is kind of going through committee and subcommittee votes. Phone calls will drive them crazy because they don't have time. It's sort of like it has to be processed one at a time. And if you want to sit there and read a lengthy script to them and they're just sitting there like, oh my God, I got to get off the phone because every other line is blowing up and I can't even consider like what policy we're going to do or what we're going to take a stand on. So I think the innovation needs to happen on the congressional level and telling people that, you know, not to contact their officials or criticizing tech companies for making things easier and building better user experiences is not the way to go. 
that actually brings me to a couple tech questions. I was told when I called in, there's a division of the government called Sergeant at Arms that kind of dictates what tech the offices are going to use to receive faxes and sets up their voicemails. Do you know if reps and governors and congresspeople are receiving these faxes as physical paper or electronically? All forms of communication are generally treated the same. All forms of electronic communication, all the letters, they're all just tallied. Most of them are electronic. I actually can't imagine any congressional offices are still getting these things on paper. Congress did actually come out with a system that is still pretty new. The shorthand is CWC, the short for communicating with Congress. They actually do have a protocol to actually get electronic communications right in there. It's kind of ridiculous that it's going like digital to analog to digital again. But at the end of the day, it's really like 535 small businesses. Sometimes they share practices, but they don't all do things exactly the same way, which is why there's so much different information out there about what method of contact is best. It's tricky. It just kind of depends on how your individual reps like to handle things. We had another guest on the podcast. She had a really interesting point, I think, and she said that certain senators and reps are on committees, and if your senator or rep is not on that committee, you don't have someone in the House or the Senate representing you other than the people on that committee. In your mind, is it appropriate to contact leadership at that point? So I think that's an exception. I wouldn't contact the individual offices, though. I think that there are ways that committees take inbound communications, and I would use kind of the general inbox for that committee. But yeah, that's one exception. Is that somewhere ResistBot is going to go, actually, where it's like contact the Judiciary Committee, contact the Healthcare Committee, contact the Energy Committee? We're still working on getting that all built. Certainly, messaging committees has been one of our items for quite some time. We have a pretty lengthy roadmap, and a lot of these things just, it adds more and more complexity. We rolled out governors actually not too long ago. So now you can contact your officials at the state level, which came in really handy when the Chris Kobach Commission was out there trying to get everyone to uh, give up voter files. I mean, it all takes time. We actually have only been online for, uh, I think we hit our 100th day, like not that long ago. But yeah, we want to allow people to interface with their government however they need to. And that includes local officials, committees, and the president, even though he's not likely to listen to anyone who is in his case. But we want to let people be heard. So you're planning a, a local official rollout. Can you speak a little bit more about that? It's going to take time, but it's something that I've done before. I mentioned my last company voters, and we went pretty far down into the local official realm, your state assembly, state senate, stuff like that. Getting into the mayors, you just have to sort of order that by size of the city. The attention is all on Congress, but again, every congressional office represents about 700,000 people, and every senate office can represent anywhere between 500,000 and 38 million. There's a lot happening at the congressional level, which is really scary to people right now, which is why so many people are engaging. But at the state and local level, you're not dealing with those types of disparity in representation. And I think that's really exciting so people can really expect to get more of a relationship, get people to respond from their mayors, city councilors, state assembly reps. My mission since I started doing this stuff has been to replace the voice of special interest with just regular people. And I think that just comes with engagement. If you don't have anybody or you don't have most people in the community engaged in actually telling reps what they think about stuff and telling them what their problems are, then that vacuum is taken up by just lobbyists and special interest groups. And it's not that they're inherently bad. It's just that if your voice isn't being heard, most people's voices aren't being heard. That's what people will listen to, right? I like that you don't seem to be beholden to anyone. Do you have a political agenda or are you just keeping it open to everybody? It's open to everybody. Certainly everybody that's working on it is genuinely scared about the direction of the country under Trump presidency, hence why it's called ResistBot. 
So it's certainly picking up all the energy where the energy is, which is on the left. Otherwise, people are free to write anything they want. We're not editing or censoring anything. We do have an abuse filter so people can't get hacked in the system. But otherwise, we're certainly not beholden to anyone. Our average donation size is $15 and we're supported by something like 15,000 donors. So you have an abuse filter so people don't attack the system. Is there any sort of filter uh, whatsoever on what people are able to write to their reps and governors and whatnot? Due to the need to fight armies of trolls, there is a simple profanity filter, and we look for some phrases that might indicate that someone's trying to spam the system. We do encourage people to keep it civil. I mean, we just think that you'll actually get a response and you'll actually be taken seriously if you're speaking in a civil way. What do you say to people who are just like, how do I know that this is actually getting there? First of all, the product itself is very transparent. As soon as you send it, it'll get back to you saying it's been delivered. It like took four attempts to ring the phone or whatever. Like We'll actually tell you whether that was received or not. And the other thing is that ResistBot doesn't say that it's from ResistBot. I imagine they assume that the large uptick in digitized faxes coming into their office is they've heard about us at this point, but we don't actually indicate where anything's coming from. If you really want to be sure, call the individual staffers or whatever and get a feel for how the office works. But all we can do is basically ensure that they are being delivered. We want to be helpful and, again, offer a lot of different methods to engage. We do have a call function. If you use it enough, it will give you the option. You can either compose a fax, you can compose an actual postal letter, or you can initiate a call to all the targets you've picked. So if you want to call both of your senators, it'll ring one office, and then once they hang up, it'll connect you to the next one. If you want to call all of your officials, it'll add your rep into that mix. So if you want to do that, you don't have to know their phone numbers. We just do it for you. I was curious, when you have the physical letter and you have these letter-to-editor options, how do you handle that? How does that work? If you want to do a letter to the editor, there's a process. You text letter to the editor to the bot. It's like actually letter number two editor. You text that and it'll either grab the last thing you wrote or I believe it'll prompt you to write a new one. And then it actually goes to our volunteers who go and submit that to your local paper. That's one of the many things we have volunteers doing behind the scenes. And letters to the editor, I mean, I love that. That's the best thing because as you mentioned earlier, where does all this communication go, right? So people are writing Congress and they can be read and they can be dismissed and they're probably stuck in the filing cabinet somewhere and who knows, right? They're supposed to tally them, but at the end of the day, that letter, it's not public or it's at least not publicized. But if you take that letter and you send it to a newspaper, the entire community can see your personal story and the officials can see something being written about them in their local paper that actually has the potential to move a lot of people. Can you talk about how you perceive the role technology is going to have in politics in the years to come? How is it going to be used to bring people back to civic engagement? Does it need to be entertaining? Should it be entertaining? Is that even something we want? Yeah, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, politics is entertainment. And that's part of why Trump won. I mean, we could get into the whole list of issues with the present state of our corporate media. But Trump exploited it and he's the ultimate showman and people cannot turn away and they didn't really know how to cover it. There's a lot to unpack with that. But now he's president of the United States. And it's like, wow, our media is scratching their heads like what went wrong. None of their usual tactics for being able to expose this type of thing worked. Trump got all this free coverage and whatnot. So I don't know if we want to make it entertaining. The thing that I'm focused on is just making it very easy. 
Well, you said something really bold and optimistic about the electorate. You said that you believe that ultimately, given the opportunity to engage civically, people are going to come to a progressive people-first agenda. This technology that you're giving to people is extremely powerful, and obviously it can be used in any which way. Are you not concerned about people using it to, let's say, stifle abortion? So again, like I said, most of the energy is on the left. And I mean, 99.9% of messages coming in are progressive. But look, I think people should be heard by their officials. I mean, the abortion is the really like worst issue you could possibly pick. It's so ideologically charged. It's very difficult to talk about. And I don't know if there's some kind of solution to that that's going to make everybody happy. I do think that people just writing in stuff like restrict abortion or not or whatever, writing the kind of partisan stuff in okay. But I think on most issues, I do think there is a middle ground. That's how Congress used to function. I think we used to basically have Republicans and Democrats and like, here's what I think and here's what the other side thinks. And we can come up with policy that generally moves us as a nation forward. But right now, everything is so partisan. So I don't even know where the party lines are anymore because Trump is some kind of subsection of maybe Republicans, maybe not. There's Republicans and Democrats and independents opposed to him. His approval rating is somewhere in the 30s. So I don't even quite know like what's going on with the parties right now. But we do live in a highly partisan environment where people are really set in their ways and the middle is sort of dead. And that is reflected in our Congress. I don't just want to get progressives involved because certainly that's an easy way for our technology to be wholly dismissed. We've got to get the middle involved in politics again. What I want to see people writing in is personal stories, what they think, how policies are affecting their families. And I think if there is a broad base of those types of messages coming into Congress from all over the country, I think that this health care bill would be a little bit different. I mean, it's not a health care bill. In fact, it's really just a tax cut that benefits a very small set of people that aren't necessarily asking for it. I don't even know if people know what Obamacare repeal means. They want to get rid of it. And I realize there's problems with Obamacare and there's loopholes. And I've talked to people about it, people that own small businesses. There's definitely problems that can be fixed. This bill doesn't fix any of them. So the Republicans are basically taking these people that have like been clamoring for a repeal of Obamacare and they're giving them this thing, which is just a transfer of wealth from the poor to the rich. I don't think policies like that, if you had a broad base of participation and people really like scratching their heads and saying, oh, like this is how this is really going to affect my life and I need this and I rely on it and my kids rely on it or my parents or grandparents, family members. I mean, what kind of policy is this that we're enacting? There's a lot of horrible things that are going on. What are some of the positive things that you see coming out of this? And what's your hope for the future? Certainly the silver lining, I think, is the participation. I hope that this can continue well into the future. The unfortunate result of Trump may be like that was the wake up call that the Democratic Party needed and those on the left needed. That's been mentioned many, many times before, but when Obama was in office, Democrats were devastated at the local and state level and certainly lost Congress, lost the Senate. So everything underneath him, we have this amazing, shiny example of liberalism in the White House, like straight out of the West Wing, right? But everything underneath, the investments in leadership and the investments in training new candidates and all of that kind of development of the Democratic bench went away. And like I said, I launched a civic engagement product in 20. 2011. And it didn't really get that much pickup, maybe because nobody was super worried. And now we have a guy in office, he's holding the office, that appears set on moving us away from democracy into something closer to what North Carolina has or worse. And that is scary for a lot of people, you know, for women's health and for human rights and civil liberties. 
So I hope that people realize that they can't take democracy for granted. You can't just sit back and think that all these rights that our founders of the country fought and died for, that those are just going to stay around. You have to pay attention. You have to stay engaged. So I do hope that more and more folks get engaged, pay attention, and maybe start to turn us back towards democracy and away from where we're headed now. That was awesome, man. Your tool has definitely made a huge difference in my personal life because I feel like I'm able to reach my reps. Oh, neat. Thanks again for the call. It's been really great. Thank you for listening to the latest episode of Mobilize. To contact your local officials, text RESIST to 50409.